listening to the Stoic Solutions Podcast, practical wisdom for everyday life, inspired by the ancient tradition of Stoic philosophy from Greece and Rome. I'm your host, Justin Vakula. Visit my website at stoicsolutionspodcast.com. For today's episode, I recorded with Lauren L. We talk about finding meaning in life, morality, and her take on political and social issues from the perspective of, among other things, a mom and an atheist who identifies as a Republican. Together, we find parallels between Stoic philosophy and her views. Lauren L. founded several atheist organizations, most notably Republican Atheists, Atheist Moms, and Atheists We Are. She has lived most of her life in Southern California, but moved abroad to Sweden for love in 2016. While abroad, she has launched American-Swedish organizations, Americans Sweden and Nordic Republicans. She has been featured in media outlets such as NPR, PJ Media, and National Swedish Live News and Print. Enjoy the episode. All right. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me on the show. Yes. Today we'll talk about Stoic philosophy, atheism, morality, and many other topics. So to start, what does being an atheist mean to you? It simply means lack of belief in a higher spirit. Mm-hmm. I've, I've seen a lot of different definitions. Some people say it's a, a positive non-belief, saying that one has reasons not to believe. Do you go by that at all, or do you find any reasons not to believe? Honestly, I have never given it even that much thought. Um, I, you know, I became atheist when I was 18, and it was through my own personal reasoning, and and I never really read into uh, any athe- like atheist speakers at that time, or really read into what people perceived as being an atheist. I, I just always perceived it as simply as being a non-believer. And it's, it's very simple to me. It's uh, easy to explain. Yes, we often hear that being non-religious or being an atheist means one can't find meaning in life. So how is it that you find meaning as an atheist? I have always had meaning in my life. So I mean, before I became atheist, I was I was a theist. But I often tell people that I, I was raised in a secular Christian household. So growing up, my family was Christian, but, you know, I had a father who never went to church. And when my, my siblings and I went to church with my mom, it was very rare. We went to church maybe once a month. We didn't read the Bible at home. We didn't pray at home. So, you know, I was raised with a, a general Christian background and just general morals. And, and when I became an atheist, I really feel like I didn't change much at all, uh, other than just dropping belief in a higher spirit. So, I think that morality just comes from the ideologies around us that that shape us and shape our society. One thing that comes up a lot in the Stoic philosophy texts is reflecting on the time that we have in life. The time is limited, life is fragile, and while we can, we should try to make the most of our time. I agree with that. That's something very good to think about. How do you how do you find that on a day to day basis? Some people might end up procrastinating or Perhaps some will say, oh, well, this life isn't as important to me because the afterlife is the main goal, as I've heard that from some religious people. Well, one thing that reminds me just a lot about thinking about uh, you know, spirituality and belief and non-belief even, is just death, to hear of, of death, to hear of people becoming ill and having to deal with challenges in their life due to health reasons and uh, sudden deaths. I think that has a lot to do with thinking about life and and how we approach life and how we approach morality. 
some people might have this idea that, okay, I want to do these things before I die. Say they'll have these goals maybe in their 20s or 30s to travel to certain places, learn certain things, take on certain hobbies, but they never really get around to it. And it's much later in life and they've run out of that time. They've run out of that opportunity. I think people, they have a lot of changes in their life. Uh, you know, I mean, when I was growing up, I know that a lot of discussion and when I was in school was geared towards university and career. And that was what was talked about a lot. And we did not talk about issues like family. And so eventually I reached a point where I decided I wanted to have children. And it was something so, so different to me. And I think this is similar for a lot of people. You know, eventually you get older and you find sometimes that there's some things that you want to do, maybe you didn't think about so much. Like for me, example, having children. And that begins to change things because when you have children now, you do have more responsibility of caring for a household, establishing a household. I think people change over time because we don't have discussions so much, in my opinion, in society and in public education about what people can do in life, about children, about having family. And so that's something that, that I think about in regards to, you know, people pursuing their dreams and so forth is sometimes we, we just, uh, we don't know what, even what we want when we're in our 20s. Maybe that will change by the time we're in our late 20s and our 30s. And so that can change plans sometimes. Yeah, some will have the idea that, oh, a career will lead to fulfillment. I'll really like this job, but it turns out not to be the case with many. Maybe they get the degree, they get into the workforce, and then they really don't like what they're doing. Yes, things happen all the time. I mean, for a long time, my dream was to live in Joshua Tree, California, which is really popular, a really popular place now. And, you know, for 10 years, I wanted to live there. And I said, and finally, I moved there. I I moved to Joshua Tree, and I was renting a room. And I felt like, oh, I finally reached my goal. And this is something I want. And I I honestly thought I was going to live there for the rest of my life. And that was when I was in my mid 20s. But, you know, time goes on and there's issues of, you know, do you want to have a relationship? Do you want to find a partner? And so that's things that change. It's, you know, maybe in a, um, these days, a lot of people, they're finding their their uh, partners through the Internet. So that in, often entails relocating, which is what happens in my situation. And I ended up moving to Sweden to live with my partner. So things change, you know, things change depending on relationships, work, family, there's always these dynamics happening in our lives. You get these ideas from the political right, and we'll get more into the political right a little bit later that, well, if religion declines, then society is going to decline as well. But you're in Sweden, one of the more secular or non-religious countries in the world. How's that going? Well, I did not want to live here, to be honest. I had lived here before as a foreign exchange student uh, from 2006 to 2007. I was here for 10 months. I was raised around Swedish American culture in the United States since I was eight years old because of my mom. My mom was really interested in our Swedish ancestry. And so, um, you know, I was raised up around the culture in the United States and I went to Swedish language camp in Minnesota. And, and then I went on to be a, an exchange student. I, I actually lived here in Sweden with two host families that took me under their roof. And that was very nice of them. But I, you know, I just came here and I, uh, I was, I was really disappointed in Sweden because, you know, one thing that will sometimes come up in conversations about Sweden, but I wish it came up more, which is that Sweden is one of the most antisocial countries in the world, uh, just behind Japan. And I was not aware of that at the time when I was an exchange student. And now, even to this day when I'm here, it is a pretty difficult country to integrate into. 
in terms of uh, being having it be a welcoming society and so forth. But there are some things that I appreciate about Sweden. It is an advanced country. It is a relatively peaceful country, though that has been changing over the years. And uh, I do appreciate the uh, how nature is integrated into the Swedish culture. Nice. So, so you've lived in many places, but you've still been able to find meaning and purpose. And that's one thing that comes up a lot in Stoic philosophy, that wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> Some people think, oh, well, a change of scenery is going to change everything. But if you're not adjusted before that, then it's likely not a good chance that you're going to fix all your problems just by going somewhere else. But if you have a strong mindset, wherever you are, you can make the most of it and thrive. Yes, that is something I learned at a young younger age. I would say in my teenage years when I was in California, and I, I just realized uh, I was in a journalism class. And I at the time, I thought where I was living in California was really boring. And like a lot of young people complained about where I was and how I wanted to be somewhere else. And, uh, and then I was in a journalism class and I started paying attention to the advertisements for the local events. And I found out that Coachella Fest was 45 minutes away from me. The Peche Mode was playing that year. And I was like, what, how did I not know this? And this was back in like around 2005 or so. And then I just started paying more attention to what was going on around me. And ever since then, anywhere I've lived, I've always tried to pay attention to what's going on around me, like events. How do people socialize? How do people meet? And so I think that's one of the benefits that has helped me to cope with Sweden is that I, I do like to meet with people. I like to socialize. And I'm living in a very small rural community right now in Sweden, which has been difficult compared to living in more populated Southern California. Yeah, I have a reputation where I live. I've hosted events here. I've hosted children's events. And it, it is one of those things you have to go places. And, and if something's not going how you like it, then in my opinion, you have to get involved and um, it can be work sometimes, it can take creativity. But yeah, so that's been one of the challenges in Sweden here is just socializing, making friends, being welcomed here. Good. And to move on to a different topic, you're mostly known for being involved with Republican atheists. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I started Republican Atheist in 2017. And uh, that was when Trump had made it to office. I was honestly glad that he made it to office. And uh, even before he ran for president, I was conservative leaning. I, I registered Republican in 2016, but I've always been conservative leaning even before that. And I, I tell people that I probably would have registered Republican right at 18 years old if I was aware of a secular sector of the Republican Party. Because when I was 18, you know, being in Southern California, especially, I had this perception and so did a lot of my my classmates in school that the Republican Party is a religious party. And at the time, I just was, I was kind of caught up in that thinking about the Republican Party. And I just said, oh, you know, I'm going to stand off from getting involved in politics. I didn't register to vote at 18. And it wasn't until I was about 25 or so that I was 26 that I actually registered to vote. And it had me think like at that time, I was thinking, you know, there's probably a lot of young people that are still thinking like me, who think all of the if there was a, a faction of the party or, or a, a part of the party I could relate to, then I would, maybe they would register Republican. And so that's why I started Republican Atheist. So it's primarily just with the goal of 
drawing awareness to the presence of atheist Republicans. Yeah, it's an interesting thing to challenge perceptions because many people have that idea that, oh, well, a certain group of people, a certain political party, oh, it's all that. It's one demographic. But in truth, as you say, there's actually a lot of variety, people of different ages, people of a lot of different ideas within the party. So you're not just going with what people say, oh, it's all the religious right. It's all the same. It's all these far right people. But you found that that's not the case. Right. And I I wanted to find more atheist Republicans. I wanted to build a platform. And, you know, I never started Republican atheists to go to Republican committee meetings and go in there, you know, storm it and say, oh, we don't want prayer or, you know, to start start making demands. Uh, You know, my my goal with it is just simply awareness. And I think over time, as the U.S. population becomes more secular, which is what is happening, there are going to be more secular Republicans or atheist Republicans. And so I, I just think it's a, it's a timing thing. And, and so that's what Republican atheist is here is for a long-term project of simply drawing awareness and being a place for atheist Republicans to come to and just find people and say, Oh, I relate to you. I'm, this happens all the time. I get messages from people who say, Oh, I'm so thankful you started this organization because I'm really glad to connect with people like me. And what does being Republican or conservative mean to you? I I generally think it's more, it's just whatever is kind of opposite of the more progressive views in general, at least right now. Personally, for me, I feel like I've always had the more conservative leaning in my views, dating back to, I think when I first became more politically conscious was when Obamacare went into full effect. And that was around 2014. And I had a a private insurance plan. I have epilepsy. So I regularly take medication. And uh, when the Obamacare went into full effect, my private insurance plan was completely eliminated overnight, overnight, just taken. And I was so frustrated because I had no coverage, you know, and I had to get medication. And I just couldn't believe that, that this health insurance policy was installed that took away private insurance plans from so many Americans and just left them high and dry. Nothing, no coverage. All of a sudden we're scrambling. Okay, what do we do now? The price of private health care plans went up like like doubled or tripled overnight. And people went scrambling to get onto the state health care in California. It was a total nightmare. So to me, I think healthcare, trying to limit government welfare programs is a conservative issue for me personally. I think just limiting, I, limiting a lot of government programs, I would say, uh, supporting Second Amendment, supporting self-protection. And then there, there are some gray areas for me, which is abortion. Um, that's one issue where I'm pro-choice up to about a point into the second trimester. That's kind of an issue I have with conservatives sometimes butting heads about abortion. Those are issues to me. Immigration, I think, more regulated immigration, which my views on that are spurred from immigration, observing immigration in Sweden and observing immigration in the United States. I find that to be a more conservative issue. You've gotten lots of blowback from left-leaning atheists, and usually it's the name-calling. Usually it's, oh, you're racist, you're homophobic, you're this and that, ism and ist, and all these judgments, rather than actually discussing the issues, talking about the merits of certain political policies. Uh, it's it's a pretty regular thing. Uh, you and I both get a lot of this um, hatred from people online, particularly not willing to have discussion, just uh, just throwing names. Yeah, and it's been going on so long. 
And this is one of the things that has just made me skeptical of atheists. And, uh, you know, when I first started observing how atheist communities can be very dogmatic, kind of similar to dogmatic religious communities in a way, um, I started noticing this back in 2014. I was in a Facebook group for an athe- it was an atheist Facebook group based in Southern California. And at the time, that was when Trump was, I think it was 2015, that was when Trump was running for office. And, you know, this group in Southern California on Facebook was all talking against Trump, of course. And I would defend Trump sometimes. And I'm like, you know, he makes a good point about immigration and stuff like that. And yeah, the, the people in this group were just so, so triggered by me. It, it was like astonishing to me. I had never even observed it before until I was in this group. And people called me poison and they would you know, say, (laughs) yeah, one girl was like, you're poison in this group. And eventually I ended up getting kicked out of that group. And I, I never said anything vulgar to people. You know, I never insulted anybody. I was just simply stating my opinions and I debating to a degree with people. And, you know, the administrator saw me as a problem in the group. So, (laughs) and since then, I've just, I've seen this repeat. It's like a broken record in the atheist community. It's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, especially legacy atheist organizations. They claim to represent everyone, even working across the political aisle. That's something that American atheist states in their mission statement or aims. But to me, it's quite left-leaning and left-focused. I mean, you look at their Twitter or Facebook page day-to-day, and it just seems like it's a wing of the Democratic Party rather than an atheist organization that's actually advocating for all atheists, regardless of political beliefs. Yeah, I I observed that right when I started Republican Atheists, and I started reaching out to American Atheists. Well, you know, American Atheists, when David Silverman was the president, I do give them credit. Uh, David Silverman was interested in Republican Atheists in terms of, you know, he said, oh, finally, like an atheist Republican is speaking up. And he he had an open mind, which I really appreciated from him. But a lot of the other atheist organizations Yes, they, um, yeah, we had some, a, a few of them. It's kind of hard for you, even for me to talk about atheist organizations because now as time has gone on, I've realized there's not that many of them. But yeah, Secular Coalition for America, they had some issues with me. They told, they told me that they would publish a, a blog written by me. I spent hours writing a blog for them, having to edit, re-edit based on their their requests. And at the end of the day, they ended up, still scrapping what I submitted to them, didn't give me an option. Yeah, they're pretty much dead ends. I don't consider them to be representing atheists. They're ultimately representing leftists. They actually, I've seen some atheist organizations work with uh, leftist religious groups rather than atheist groups that they just simply disagree with. Yeah, it was a really appalling talk that I called out Last year, Mandisa Thomas from the group Black Nonbelievers gave this talk for American Atheist National Convention, talking about white supremacy culture and just making claims like appeal to academic scholarship is reinforcing white supremacy, that if you don't give money to certain BIPOC groups, then this is reinforcing white supremacy. (laughs) It's like, why is this on stage at American Atheist Conference? And what are the arguments for such positions they're taking a very uncharitable lens here yeah they're i think they're very off topic and 
you know, black non-believers, which Mandisa was, I think he's still involved with. Anyway, I've, yeah. I've, me- I've messaged them a few times on behalf of Republican atheists simply to introduce myself and connect with them. Never received a response from them. And, you know, at the end of the day, I've gotten some pushback from people affiliated with black non-believers, you know, and I've mentioned to them, you know, there are black Republicans. I know that there are black atheist Republicans, which yeah. is in their supposedly supposed to be their interest because uh, they are representing black atheists, but they have no, they had no interest in communicating with me, which means they have no interest in uh, communicating about black atheist Republicans. So I do consider them hypocritical. They are not representing black atheists. They are only representing the black atheists that agree with their ideologies. Yes. And in response to the talk, Mandisa was saying, oh, you can't criticize the talk. You weren't there. You don't know what the talk was really about, claiming that, oh, just because we saw certain slides and certain tweets about it, that we weren't qualified to have an opinion about it. So my response to her at the time when she responded was, okay, well, feel free to send me the slides, send me the audio of it. And then then it was like, oh, I'm not going to educate you. I'm not going to do the work for you. You have to figure this out. And then she called for her Facebook friends to quote unquote, have at me. So yeah, they're just not interested in discussion. They're not interested in challenges to their ideas. It's just uh, ideology. They're, they're just um, being dog- dogmatic, as you were saying. It's not just them. It's, it's, I've seen this so many times. And it doesn't matter if it's an atheist group. I've seen that. Okay, so I'm an American living abroad in Sweden. So I'm in uh, Facebook groups for like Americans in Sweden. And yeah, there, I've seen this in so many other groups, not just in atheist groups. It's, just a, it's, a, it's a left-wing tactic. It's just how they think. It doesn't matter if it's an atheist group or whatever it is. And even in Americans living abroad, I've seen the same thing. I have been uh, harassed by Americans living in Sweden on Facebook, kind of like a ta- tag team effort, I guess, as she said, have at him telling people to go after you. It's just kind of how they operate, even in uh, for Americans living in Sweden on Facebook. You know, they harassed me and targeted me to the point that they, they start to, you know, flag the administrator, you know, admin, admin, this person's problem. <laughs> and, and I actually got poisonous. I got, poisonous. Yeah. And I got removed from the Americans in Sweden Facebook group, which was the main group for Americans in Sweden. And again, just like with the atheist group, I had mentioned that I was in California, I was not vulgar with people. And I actually rarely brought up politics. But when someone brought it up, I would I would respond. It's at a point now, if you want to be in a group, you really can't discuss politics. If it's a resource, you know, if, a, if the group is a resource, which as a person living abroad, these groups for Americans living abroad and just people living abroad, they are a resource to me. Um, yeah, that's how it is. It's, it's a tag team effort. And I have gotten to the point of just blocking people who slander and harass me on Facebook. Yeah, and and they're not open to revising their ideas either. It's something that comes up a lot within Stoicism is that over time, you're going to get new information. It's actually a good thing to engage with critics as long as the critics will help you improve in a certain way. You know, you're not going to engage with every internet troll and people just name calling and being nasty to you. But it's like, okay, well, hey, I'm in agreement with you on several issues. So let's talk about the disagreements and 
and hash it out, but they, they won't even have those discussions. Like one blogger in particular, Hemet Meta, has written lots of hit pieces about you, but won't have you on a show, won't have a discussion with you. It's just all these attacks and smears rather than actually engaging in discussion. Right. Hemet, he he did reach out to me when I very first launched Republican Atheist, and he did write about Republican Atheist, but it was in a way of, uh, you know, he asked me, do you support Trump? And I said, yeah, I do. I voted for him. And so that was kind of the point that all he needed was, oh, I don't like your group. <laughs> I think I, I think if I had been, you know, one of those uh, with the Lincoln Project Republicans or something, he probably would have been like, oh, I like you. I'll put you in like this great spotlight. Oh, look, atheist Republican yeah. hates Trump. Yes. And uh, but it was the other way around. And he didn't like that. So uh, and since then, you know, for a while now, he hasn't covered me at all, which has me think he's probably getting a lot of, uh, as you say, blowback. He's probably getting some blowback. I mean, I, I see a lot of more, I see, I do see more atheists speaking up against some of the content that he puts up in terms of being left-leaning, uh, being closed-minded, shallow. And so, yeah, he hasn't written about me for a while when, uh, for a while, for the first couple of years, he, he did mention me quite a bit. But he, he has been happy to jab against you on Twitter. I know that. And many other people too. Right. Yeah, and it's really strange because I used to be on really good terms with him when I was engaged in a lot of community activism, doing debates, getting involved in separation of church and state issues that he would prominently feature my work. He would send me emails and ask questions and he'd be very positive. But then when I said, okay, well, I'm not agreeing with you on these political positions and all of a sudden it's not even giving it a shake. It's just making fun. It's just putting all these judgments out there. Um, the name calling the nastiness. So it's it's been quite the change. I think for me seeing that, it's, it's just been a really eye-opening situation for me because when I was 18 and I first became atheist, I had this, I, in many ways now I feel really dumb for thinking this, but I did have this automatic assumption that an atheist would be more open-minded, would be more, uh, more I guess, easygoing with conversation and more more into understanding how other people think and yeah since observing atheists for the last decade i feel like i've been proved so wrong on that and now <laughs> i have I, ha I honestly have no i i can't speak highly of a religious person or an atheist person either way i feel they can be equal in terms of how dogmatic uh they can be equal in the dogmatism. I, I use that word, I use that word with an atheist, I use the word dogmatic with an atheist, because I, even though it's, you know, if you read it, it, it relates to religion, but I do feel that that's a word that can also be applied to atheists. Yeah, really, really anyone can go astray. Yeah, and with Hemet, another interesting thing is that he was attacked by a lot of the same people that he's pals with now. It was several years ago where he posted on his blog, a suspected plagiarism that was happening on another website. And when he voiced these concerns about the plagiarism, people like Rebecca Watson were calling him a misogynist, trumpeting or platforming a hate forum because the source that called out the plagiarism was a forum that she particularly didn't like. So they were attacking Hemet for writing about the plagiarism concerns rather than actually investigating the concerns and whether the concerns were true. So Hemet unfortunately didn't learn from that incident because he's now behaving in the same way that people were treating him years ago. Yeah, it's really it's really strange how, uh, I mean, this is how these groups are. They're, I mean, that's why it's called cancel culture. It's, it's just endless. It's like always this 
you know, oh, how do I act perfect so I can get praise? And it's it's really difficult when you get into their circles. It's yeah, it's a waste of time. I just stopped. I have generally stopped paying attention to the greater extent. Yeah. So trying to find more positive communities and walk away when it's really no longer worth it. When you find people engaging in this behavior, then maybe it's a good time to step away and just form a community of your own or find better communities rather than trying to reform the existing organizations. That has, that's what I've been doing. Um, I, you know, I've started a few atheist organizations over the years. I haven't been working on them so much because I just work on a lot of projects. I'm like a mastermind. I'm always working on things. And on top of that, right now, I have two children. So <laughs> I've been really busy for the past uh, almost four years now. Um, but yeah, I started a group, Atheist Moms. And this is because I just thought that the, I, I think this is kind of where my more traditional, I really would like to see a more traditional approach in the atheist community. Uh, you know, there's always these talks about these uh, obscure lifestyles, I would say, in the atheist community. And I, <laughs> I've, always, lightly, yeah. I've always questioned that because like I told you, you know, when I became atheist at 18, not much changed about me personally, other than dropping belief in God. I still kind of had this, uh, you know, these ideas, oh, I'd like to get maybe, maybe married someday. Maybe, you know, I, I feel like I I'm still connected to the church in a way. I just am not a believer. And so I wanted to start this group, Atheist Moms, to kind of have, kind of put my spin on what an atheist is to me. And and that's one thing, that's a group that I feel has been neglected in the atheist community, our parents. Uh, you don't really hear much about parenting in the atheist community. You don't see advice for parents. And I, I want, to, I started Atheist Moms with the goal of not just talking about religion and, 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 but more to, to do more, talk about, about parenting, like how, how do you take care of a newborn baby? How do you handle behavior with a toddler? You know, issues that, that all parents have to deal with, whether they're religious or not. And I wanted to have a non-religious community. So I, I've started a few atheist groups. There's one also called Atheist We Are to uh, just cover what atheist organizations are doing. I have a few. I have a few atheist groups, yeah. Yeah, very good. So lots of different ways for people to engage with you and your projects online. And it's, it's interesting you brought up the people um, opposed to marriage or relationships. And this has gotten a lot of people into trouble. They would talk about polyamory and, oh, well, we're open. You know, we can go on a cruise and engage with all these other kinds of people on the cruises. And that's gotten a lot of people into trouble, including Mandisa Thomas, who we mentioned earlier, is there were a lot of allegations of infidelity. And if people weren't, uh, let's say, going with her, advances that they were blackballed from the groups that she was involved with. So too much desire is something that's talked about in Stoic philosophy as something to avoid, that we should be careful with our desires and have some sort of moderation rather than having too much desire leading to some personal harm and personal failures. I don't mind people having alternative lifestyles. And I respect that I grew up by Palm Springs, California, one of the most gay friendly communities in the United States. I mean, when I was a kid, I was already seeing the rainbow flag and so forth. But I, at the same time, I have always also had an interest in the more traditional relationship model of marriage. And, and I just don't see that very much in the atheist community. Uh, I haven't seen that discussion much. And I think it's because they, they affiliate it with Christianity and, oh, or, or it's just something boring. You know, it's traditional, it's boring. 
sometimes I feel like that's why tradition is rejected in atheist circles. It's just boring. It's Christian or, you know, and, uh, but I think it's, it's always going to be there. The more traditional lifestyles will always be there. And so I do think that that needs to always have a place. Yeah. And some of the people who chase all these different relationships, partnerships, engagements, whatever, they often just keep chasing and they're really never happy. It's, oh, well, let's get more variety. Let's try something different. And they're just ultimately never satisfied. I, I think so. There's, there's always a, yeah, there is always an interest in, in something different. And I know a lot of people will, will dye their hair and when they're young. And but people end up, a lot of people end up growing up when they get older. And people end up going to a traditional lifestyle. And that's, that's how it is. And I, I don't know why it's neglected, why it's like, I feel like it's looked down upon, and, and at least by the speakers of these atheist conventions. And sometimes I feel <laughs> that's why, you know, that's why atheists kind of get a bad rap, why they, why atheists are often considered strange, because in some ways they are. It's a bit, it's a bit bizarre. There might be a case of um, maybe being countercultural or rebelling against the existing traditions, but there's a warning for, okay, well, maybe some traditions and some structures are worth preserving rather than just say, okay, I'm going to be anti everything. Let's just throw it all away. Uh, that that's not necessarily going to work out well. And I, I think I can really relate to that, to the, you know, preserving certain aspects of like the traditional culture. And that's why I say I, in some ways, I wasn't very different when I became atheist at 18. And I carried on, uh, I carried on a lot of beliefs from the church. And I've always been considered a nice person by people, you know, people who, who meet me would always be very highly, oh, you know, she's a nice person. And that's kind of my background as an atheist, as a person who has been speaking up more in the atheist community. It's one of the reasons why I have been speaking up more in the atheist community, because I think I was just appalled by what I saw. And I, I thought, wow, this is nothing what I thought an atheist would be, like, when I became atheist at 18. And so that's why I started speaking up, because I, I'm basically showcasing what I, I am interested in as an atheist. And, and I know there are people out there who are also interested. Yes, although many of the organizations have sadly gone far left, the American Humanist Association was one of those who got a lot of mainstream attention, even from outside of atheist circles, for taking an award away from Richard Dawkins, of all people, who might be the most famous atheist in modern times. The humanists, to me, are are strange. Um, you know, I, I've, al I've often seen, you know, people, people have said to me in the past, when they learned that I am a more conservative leaning person, or that I'm a Republican, there's been atheists who have said to me, Oh, so you're not a humanist. And they say it in a way as though they assumed I was a humanist, because I was an atheist. And I've never liked that. And I think, um, you know, there definitely is a line between an atheist and, and then a humanist. The humanism is an ideology. And so American Humanist Association, I don't really even put, put that in the atheist category. I keep it in the humanist category. It's an ideology. It's a doctrine. And um, it's interesting to read into. If you read into the history of like modern humanism, the Humanist Manifesto 1, the Humanist Manifesto 2, you know, it's not like anybody up the street can just simply say they're a humanist. You have to read into what humanism is. But yeah, American Humanist Association, I, I just consider them a, a strange organization, and I don't take them seriously. And they, they had given awards to people in the past that they haven't taken away. So people are saying, oh, well, if you're going to reconsider your award that you gave to Richard Dawkins, would you also take your award away from some other people in the past? But they have not. Yeah, and there are some, some pretty dark aspects of humanism. If you look at history of modern humanism, uh, in Britain, in the UK, a number of 
humanists were uh, involved in eugenics. It's it's interesting. I don't have all the details on hand right now, but it's uh, humanism. I don't, I just don't understand how they go around on, on a high horse thinking they're they're so they're they're so uh, they have so much morality or they're they're better than other people. They have a dark history themselves. The humanist ideology. Yes, that instead of being a humanist, many, including myself, have leaned more toward virtue ethics of prioritizing things such as courage, justice, moderation, instead of taking on these ideologies or, or labels that have a lot of baggage associated with them. I think it is difficult to, you know, if a, if a person calls themselves a humanist, then you it is a doctrine. I mean, you can look it up. There's, it's like, I kind of compare it to like the Ten Commandments in a way, but it's like the humanist commandments. And it's like you are supposed to follow these commandments and believe and, and agree with what they say. And so that's one of the things that I, I don't, I just have never really liked that uh, following a doctrine, having to to commit to a certain ideal, specific ideology. Yes. And over the years, we've used terms like identity politics, political correctness. Now it seems to be woke is the uh, term of the day to describe some of these people on the left who have gone quite far with a lot of their claims, as we mentioned, the name calling, the blackballing, the misrepresenting what's actually happening. Have you been one to use that term woke? What, what does that mean to you? Uh, when I when I first started carrying it a few years ago, I, I understood it. Now it's, it kind of seems a bit uh, played out to me. It's a bit common to hear it. But, but I understand why people are using it. Because yes, the, the left leaning community has gone just uh, so far out there with their ideologies and their demands and how they expect everyone to agree with them and, and they're quick to cut ties with with anybody who, who even slightly disagrees with, with some of the things that they think. So I think that's what, what woke is. It's just, it's just like far out left-leaning group that's uh, out to, yeah, kind of control how people think and control the narrative around them. Usually it's this idea that society is wholly corrupt and that the structures of society are white supremacy, patriarchy, this terrible capitalism. And that's how they're, they're viewing things, that the world is in this fallen state. Society has all of these problems with it and everything needs to be overturned so we can have a better lifestyles, this utopian vision that would often hear that, oh, well, if this and that went away, then life would be so much better. Yeah, and sometimes I often try to question people who who talk on this to- topic. Well, you know, what are solutions? How do we how do we change course? And I, I think the public education system has a lot to do with this. A lot a lot with the ideologies and what you know the doctrines or the you know the topics put in front of young people. It is a challenging. It's challenging when when there's this uh, one way stream in a way through the public education system and and trusting the public education system. And I, I have seen some conservative groups pop up on campuses, uh, Turning Point USA, which I heard of years ago. But when I was in on university campus around 2010, I don't remember any conservative, granted I wasn't so involved in politics at that time, but I don't remember any conservative clubs when I was uh, on campus at the time in 2010. So so I'm kind of interested to see what what is the pushback hap- gonna happen on campuses as time goes on. And I have been seeing increasing numbers of students speak up against the, you know, quote unquote, woke uh, uh, agendas happening on campuses. Do you have any solutions on on your end for possibly 
getting through some of these discussions online or engaging with some of these people that are pushing the radical agendas involved in the name calling, the division, the misrepresentation? Well, you know, for a long time, I was not blocking people because I had this this thinking, I am open to conversation, I'm open to debate. But at this point in time, uh, after it was a recent issue episode I had a few weeks ago in a group, as I had mentioned, for America, well, it was for foreigners living in Sweden on Facebook. And again, there was this mob attack on me for on a post that wasn't even political. They simply looked at my profile and were like, oh, started this whole, whole, a whole discussion against me based on some images on my profile. And I think that you just have to block the people that you find are slandering you, slander, harassing you, because as you mentioned earlier, they're not there for improvement. They're not there for conversation. They're there to just attack you and essentially have you removed from the general group. So I, I think that if you're online, if you're on a, on a place like Facebook, if you're still there, I think Facebook is falling apart. Um, I would say just block people if they're if they're harassing you, and then also try to network. I am very a very big supporter of networking, reaching out to people, finding similarities and building representation. And so this is something that has happened with Republican atheists. You know, I've done some interviews with some bigger media outlets and it's because of building an organization like Republican atheists. If I was just myself as an atheist Republican, no one would probably care, but being behind Republican atheists, uh, yeah, I I get requests for interviews. I get contacted by people working on campaigns so it's like you have to start uh, networking, working with people. I started an organization here across in Sweden called Nordic Republicans, representing Republicans in the, the Nordic region of Sweden, Finland, Norway, Iceland, and Denmark. <laughs> that is the Nordic region. And I have actually been contacted by uh, teacher, professors at universities, students interested in doing studies about Americans living abroad. You know, so if you start if you kind of start a group and start to do outreach, it starts to draw attention to your values and what you're standing up for. I think that's a big thing is, is to network and just get plugged in with groups that connect with your values. All right. Very good. And if you can mention again where people can find you online, mention some of your projects, organizations. My main organization in the atheist arena is Republican Atheist. I also manage Atheist Moms and Atheist We Are. I manage a group called Christian Atheist Society, and then I have my personal account. So you can find me just by searching Lauren L. Talk on Twitter and Instagram. Lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N-L-E-L-L, and then Talk, T-A-L-K. All right. That's about all I have. Anything else you'd like to add? No, that's great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. All right. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for more content. See the show notes for more information and links surrounding topics discussed in this episode. Support my efforts through my Patreon page found at StoicSolutionsPodcast.com. Access special perks, including having upcoming podcast guests answer your questions, custom-made podcast episodes, and private one-on-one calls to discuss whatever you'd like. Visit my other podcast at HurdyGurdyTravel.com. That's H-U-R-D-Y-G-U-R-D-Y Travel.com to learn how to make money Save money and travel the world at low cost with credit card rewards, deals, and loyalty programs. Find me in the 2022 book, Stoicism Today, 
Selected Writings, Volume 4. Order a paperback or Kindle version of the book from Amazon.com. Link in the show notes. Thanks to generous patrons and fans of this podcast who help support my work. Have a great day. Thank you.